Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast on a victory Monday, energized by our friends over at Celsius. I am John Ledyard. Along with me is Scott Reynolds today on this beautiful NFC Divisional Playoff Round Victory Monday for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if you're just listening to the podcast, that was me rubbing my hands together gleefully, Scott, because surprise, out of nowhere on this Monday, Vita Vea could be back for the NFC. Yes, it's possible. Yes, do you remember him? Big, massive nose tackle, really good at rushing the passer, way better than anybody else the Bucs have on their D-line. He <laughs> could be back for the NFC Championship game against the Packers. We don't know yet. We're going to talk about it on this show. We've got a lot to get to on this show, obviously, Scott, with everybody's questions as well. So if you're a fan and you're jumping in here, we'll get to your questions as well. That's what we do every Monday. But exciting news on a Monday, on a victory Monday of all Mondays, Scott. Yeah, this is a really special Monday because usually right now, John, we're we're in Mobile, Alabama, right. Bowl, and yep. and we're we're pumping out our first mock draft of of the the season. You know, it's crazy to think, John, the Buccaneers are going to be drafting what as low as 29th this year. Yes, yes. I can't remember the that's last real. Time the Buccaneers have drafted this late on purpose. What I mean by that is not trading back. I mean, actually earning the 29th, 30th, 31st, or dare I say 32nd spot in the draft. No, this is a whole new ballgame, John. We're talking about the Buccaneers playing in the NFC Championship game Sunday, 305, in Green Bay, rematch against the Packers, possibly with Vita Bea. Let's hit the Celsius, John. Oh, John, it's 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 Monday after a, a long game night. We were up till, you know, 1 2 o'clock in the morning. So you yes. know what that means. Time to recharge with Celsius. I've still got my blueberry pomegranate going strong, but I respect the jackfruit because it is a great flavor. And I have one you know in the what? fridge for later. You know why I'm I'm uh displaying the jackfruit tonight? Because I drank the blueberry pomegranate. Oh, because you drank the blueberry pomegranate. All right. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> So, you know, if you're not familiar with Celsius yet, where you've been, right? Well, it might be the yeah. first time for the Peter Report podcast. So if it is, let me just tell you, Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. Now, here's the thing. the whole the, What we're talking about is Celsius heat, and it comes in several flavors. John was talking about the blueberry pomegranate. I had that today. The jackfruit is also lovely. They've also got uh, strawberry dragon fruit, which I'm going to try tomorrow, John. I've, I've yet to try it. And, and you know what? I'm not. It doesn't sound great to me, but you know what? The blueberry pomegranate didn't sound great. I've already put it in my top five. That's right. Flavors. <laughs> so I'm just going to go for it. They also have got Inferno Punch, Cherry Lime, and Orange Sickle. I haven't tried Orange Sickle yet, but we're going to have to try that, John, because the Buccaneers, Cream Sickle, Orange Sickle, yep. you know, it's, it's going to be good. Um, the, here's the thing to know about Celsius Heat. It's not just an energy drink. This is an energy drink that's got key vitamins, two thousand milligrams of L-citrulline and 300 milligrams of caffeine. And what this is, this is a performance energy drink that's designed to increase thermogenesis in your body and give you that boost of energy. So uh, that's why they call it Celsius because it works within your body to boost your metabolism, give you that rush of energy. And the great thing, John, like all the Celsius products, no crash after that's you right. drink. Yes. That's very important. Last but not least, where can I find Celsius? Well, the best place to go, PeterReport.com. Click on those Celsius heat banners on our website. That's going to take you to Amazon. You can buy the regular Celsius, the sparkling beverage, or the the, uh, green tea, or the Celsius heat product we've been talking about. And you can buy them in bulk and save money. If you're not sure which Celsius flavor is your favorite or second favorite, third or fourth or fifth flavor, then go get the flavor variety pack and try them all. And then make your order on uh, Amazon and save a whole bunch of money. Or you can buy them at most convenience store locations and some grocery stores in and around the Tampa Bay area and across the country. 
So if you want to find out where, go to Celsius.com, click on store locator, type in your zip code, and it'll pull up the nearest Celsius distributors near you. Or you can just visit Celsius.com and find out all about Celsius and their amazing flavors and energy drinks. You know what, Scott? You know who I think had a Celsius? I think Vita Vey had a few Celsiuses before his rehab. <laughs> I mean, this guy, we asked Bruce Aarons about this. I think it was Jenna who asked him about it. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Is there any chance that Vita Vey could come back this season? He acted like the idea was preposterous. Maybe he's just, you know, Bruce Aarons has lied to us before <laughs> press conferences. So it's not totally unusual, but still, it was pretty convincing lie. I'll give him that. So. He hit it well. Uh, I don't know if there's a competitive advantage to that, uh, but Vita Vea activated today for injury reserve. So he has a 21-day period of time now in which the team can say, we're going to activate you, we're going to play you, we're gonna, you're going to be up on the, the active roster for the game. In that 21 days, he's going to practice, and they can determine from that practice time what kind of a state he's in to be able to play. The Super Bowl, if they were to get there, that's that's three weeks away. I mean, that yeah. – oh, wait, one, two – I think that's three, yeah, three weeks away. So that window seems pretty realistic just yeah. by the fact that they're opening it now. I would think it would have to go pretty poorly, and it could go poorly. We've seen that happen with Evans and and maybe I don't know if Beckwith was in that conversation too before, but yeah. but we've seen that happen before. So now the question is, but the real question is, is there any chance, Scott, that this guy could be available? Vita Vea could be available to them against Green Bay on Sunday. There's a chance if everything goes well on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday's practices. And the reason why I say that is because, yes, there were times where we were all excited, we in the media, as, as well as the Buccaneer fan base and the team itself, John, with Kendall Beckwith coming back from his ankle injury. And he broke his, his ankle a couple of years ago in an off-season car wreck and right. tried to give it a go and just it, it, it didn't function at all. He didn't have the range of motion. Um, it didn't. He could walk. He could he could be a, a normal human being, but he couldn't be an NFL athlete anymore. That's how badly the ankle was damaged. Uh, Justin Evans, we have been trying to get this guy in the field for the last couple of years now with his foot and and uh, Achilles problems and toe problems, and uh, you know they finally had to cut him. John, uh, mm. uh, if he returned to practice, it looked like it was promising that he was going to play in the preseason last year, and it just didn't happen. They had to shut him down. So. Um, when I say last year, I mean 2019 because it wasn't a preseason in 2020. So uh, just because they returned to practice, I just want to put some caution out there and everyone's excited. The Buccaneers themselves are cautiously optimistic. That's the term that I've heard today uh, from some of my sources, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, it's mm -hmm. one thing for him to do some rehab and training. It's another thing for him not to go out there and do some serious football movements. And just because he's out there practicing on Wednesday, John, doesn't mean he's going to be in full pads doing 11-on-11 11 11, uh, team drills and stuff. This is literally a introduction to football practice with Vita mm -hmm. Vea, and we'll see how, how much they incorporate him into what they're doing. I think it would be premature to uh, anticipate him making his – his return to action this week. I think this is, if, if all systems are go, and if he exceeds expectations, there's a chance he could play on Sunday. But I think this is getting Vita Vea ready for the Super Bowl if and when that happens. And, of course, that means the Bucks beating the Packers on Sunday, John. Right, yeah. It's, I mean, ripe, another storyline in a weekend that's already going to be ripe with storylines. I mean, obviously, we've got the fact that Tampa Bay is now on the flip side of what they were on last week, where they were the ones that got embarrassed in the regular season and then came back and had revenge on the Saints. Now you have uh, a, a Green Bay team that was embarrassed by by Tampa Bay. Really, the only time they've been embarrassed this this season, and the only time Rodgers has really played poorly this season, uh, in a thirty-eight to ten loss to Tampa Bay, in which yeah. they were outscored thirty-eight to nothing after the first quarter. And I mean, Rodgers was held in this game. To, I mean, it was his worst game of the season. wasn't even close. 16 of 35, 160 yards, and he threw two interceptions. He right. was sacked a whole bunch of times. He just didn't look comfortable. Probably one of the only games I've ever seen Rodgers truly get rattled in. I remember when Sue hit him right before the half, sacked him. Uh, yeah. I mean, he just looked completely out of sorts, furious. And then things didn't get any better in the second half either. Right. So, man, we it's a situation now where the script could be flipped and Rodgers could be coming back for the range game. Remember, everybody said that last year. San Francisco, they yeah. said Rodgers is going to crush him when he gets to the playoffs. You know, he's going to, there's no way San Francisco does what they did in the regular season against him. And then San Francisco went out, did the exact same thing again. 
it's going to be a fascinating game. There's no question about that. Felt like that one got away from Green Bay. But remember, Tampa Bay didn't have Vita Vea in that game either. And the linebackers, Levante, David, and Devin White, I know everybody thinks Vea can kind of save those two with his presence. They played one of their best games of the season in that game. They were truly right. dominant. So, man, the matchups are just all over the place in this one, Scott. And we have a lot of questions to get to. But I know that, that just that front against the Packers offensive line, which dominated against the Rams, a good Rams front, that's yeah. going to be one of the key storylines in this game. And having Vea back for it could be huge. Yeah, and, and it certainly is. Uh, the, again, the one thing that I'll, I'll just say is 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 uh, you got to remember th- this is this is Monday, right? And it's right. victory Monday. The team just got back in town, so they're still still trying to catch up on everything. This was MRI day today. Uh, we know that, that Jeremiah Ledbetter didn't play in the game because of, of a calf injury. Um, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm hearing that that he may not be ready to go this week. They'll see how how you know that. that how he progresses. Um, right. Antonio Brown is another player that, that, that I'm trying, trying to hear word back from. Uh, he had a, a knee uh, injury that limited him in the game. Didn't play much in the second half, if at all. Um, I, I know that he was injured right around the second quarter. So we're still, we're going to have more information, obviously on, on pewterreport.com tomorrow. And then Wednesday, when these players do practice, that'll give us the better indication if they're going to, uh, you know, to uh, to be available for, for Sunday's big game against the, the Packers. Yeah, correct. And so we've got a long way to go in terms of gathering information for how this is going to go. We are – I honestly don't think the team knows, like you said. You know, right. I think they hope by the Super Bowl they don't know what's going to happen in terms of Veda's availability for this week specifically. And so, yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to be one of those things you track and you monitor. The Packers, you know, have a good interior offensive line. Obviously, their center, Corey Lindsley, has been one of the best in the league. Elton Jenkins, their left guard, was Brandon Thorne's guard over Ali Marpet. So Brandon Thorne's top two left guards in the league are going to be playing each other in this game. Uh, this past season, his top two were Alton Jenkins and uh, were Ali Marpet. So, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a fascinating game for sure. And it's going to be a lot of stuff in the trenches. So let's get to some of these questions. Uh, there are some good thoughts and questions. Remember, it doesn't have to be a question. If you have some comments or some criticisms or some observations on things, I uh, would love to, to discuss and talk about those things as well. So let those fly as well. Uh, Haas Y Juke always coming in with some analysis for us uh, in this one. Let's get his versus the Saints outside of two minute drills, 19 first down runs, four first down passes. Can't do that again. Scott, you and I had a great conversation. I wish yeah. it was on the air. Sometimes we get into these back and forth in the Pew Report <laughs> group text that I'm like, man, yeah. like these are the points. You know, I wish it was. It's always like Trevor said, don't do the pod before the pod. Sometimes right. we fall into it. We don't even know. Yeah. I really disliked your offensive approach. I don't think you were like the biggest fan of it, but you saw some right. rationale behind what they were doing. Yeah, and I just when you look at at the the numbers, um, really in, in the fourth quarter, and I have to go back and look. I want to say that they had sixteen called runs, fifteen actually counted because one of those called runs was a forty-four yarder by Ronald Jones that was called back, so that didn't count. But I believe they had six passes in the the fourth quarter and so you know I, I think that skews the data a little bit right and 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 also too when you look at at the number of runs uh when the buccaneers you know, had a lead three-point lead then also a 10-point lead um you can imagine they're going to be doing some predictable first down runs in those situations uh so i, I think w- when you look when you look at that and i think john your initial argument was what are you doing prioritizing all these carries for ronald jones and Leonard fournette when really on the the totem pole of of the the hierarchy, if you will, of the of the most dangerous weapons, you've got Mike Evans, you've got Chris Godwin, you've got Antonio Brown, uh, Rob Gronkowski. Then as you get on down the list, then it's Ronald Jones and and Leonard Fournette. And I I agree with you in principle there, but I think that that the yesterday those numbers did skew more towards the running game for two reasons. Number one, I think it was part of the of the game plan. Uh, especially, and it may be overreactionary, John, because remember, the last time these two teams played, it was 38-3, to 31-0 at halftime. The Bucks completely abandoned the run uh, early on in that game, and maybe they had to. But they finished with four designated runs and then one kneel down. So they had five mm-hmm. carries. It was the fewest attempts in any NFL game. Not something that Bruce Arians or Byron Leftwich wanted to do heading into that game, but it was a byproduct of that. So I think there was a conscientious effort to really bring more balance um, in, into the 
to the offense. And what does that do? That limits the number of times Tom Brady's dropping back. It limits the number of sack opportunities and pressure opportunities that the, the New Orleans uh, Saints uh, defensive front can inflict on the offensive line. And uh, you can't sack the quarterback if he's handing the ball off. And and I, I know this just from covering this game, from, from playing defensive line in high school, from coaching it. Um, it's fun to rush the passer. It's not fun when you're having to uh, to brace yourself for double teams in the run game and and getting you know getting your your ass knocked back or or you know having to to catch a running back as he's plowing into you right it's more fun for defensive linemen to rush the passer some sick twisted guys like Indomikasu and Will Golston actually like to stuff the run um, <laughs> but I think if you ask most defensive linemen they would love to have a one on one against a guard or a tackle and try to sack the quarterback right I think that that's just that's just common sense so. My long-winded answer is this. I think it was a dedicated thing to say we don't want Tom Brady having to throw the ball 50 times this game, getting sacked an average of three times, which happened in both of those meetings, and then throwing at least two interceptions, which happened in both of those games. And I think, by, the, by and large, that, that helped, and that's what worked. And I think that, that it was a great uh, experiment to, to put this much emphasis on the run game because they had a funny feeling. Sunday at three o'clock, it's snowing, uh, frigid temperatures up in up in Lambeau. They're going to have to rely on the run a little bit, John, because it's going to be hard slinging that that rock in uh, the cold, snowy, wintry conditions, especially with guys that aren't used to catching a hard pigskin. Right. Yeah. No. The reason I really hated the game plan. I mean, and I, you know, I can't emphasize that enough. I, I mean, you, you know, if you listen oh, yeah. to me, I, I, I am a process over results type of. You know, when I'm looking at things, I'm always saying like. Could this process have borne positive results the vast majority of the time? And I don't think it did. I mean, unless you get four turnovers in this game, I don't think the Bucs have a chance of winning this game without those four turnovers because of their approach offensively. If they hadn't gotten those four turnovers, I think we're talking about a Bucks loss and we are pulling our hair out over the fact that they gave Fournette and Jones 30 opportunities. And 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 Fournette was, you know, under four yards of carry. Jones was over he ran hard he had two good really good 12 and 11 yard run that were really good runs uh, he made some people miss on those two runs but they gave them 30 opportunities and brady 33 34 dropbacks 33 attempts in this well, game and john to I, that, I want to do something douglas connor said the bucks ran versus cover too deep and 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 when, when you're looking at it from from a from a a game planning standpoint or not even a game planning but like it like an in-game strategy standpoint Sometimes instead of trying to dictate to the defense, you take what the defense gives you. And I think that, that the Buccaneers, I think there was some of that going on. That they but there were them. a lot of runs too where that wasn't the case, where there was a single high safety and they were running the football. And so the, it was it was kind of a mix. And again, like it's something Hoswai Juke I see mentioning too that you know this it, you could be baited into those runs by playing two eye safeties and when they know that it's not really effective for you. And again, the Bucs ran the ball well enough in a game where they didn't turn it over and the other team turned over four times to win. They didn't run the ball really that well, especially when you look at what you can be getting by throwing the ball in certain downs. It's not just whether you got four yards on uh, running the ball. It's okay. Am I averaging better than four yards when I throw the ball? And then am I losing those opportunities to get more yards by running it too much not that you can't run at all but running it too much and taking away from those situations so there are multiple ways to look at it obviously at the end of the day they got the turnovers, so we'll never we can go through the hypothetical like would they have won the game without those turnovers you know we, i think we can go through that kind of the hypothetical all day my biggest question is going into this game against green bay if you looked at the way green bay played the rams at times i mean yeah. they don't even cover certain gaps in the run game I mean, yeah. they are just Letting it hang out there. I mean, they're just kind of like, if you want to run, run, you know, and Mike Patton has kind of always had this thing for going in and staying in nickel and dime defense, even in the, and the box are obviously playing in 12 yeah. a ton. And so I am totally mesmerized by trying to figure out what's going to happen in this game, because I don't think you were going to run well, better than you ran it in the game, this game against Saints. I don't think it was in the cards for the box to run it better than they did. They ran it, like I said, well enough with yeah. everything else that happened in the game to not kill themselves. But against Green Bay, I don't know. If Green Bay comes out and plays like they played the Rams in some games this season, yeah. I just think the Bucs can run the football. I'm not saying they should have a run-heavy approach sure. at all. 
In well, fact, you need to run the ball, but you need to run it on better downs than first and 10. That's the really the key for me. It's yeah. less about running less and more about running in situations that are better for you to run it in. Exactly. Well, you know, the Buccaneers, they're the top run defense in the league. Uh, they've yeah. only given up 1,289 yards. You look at the Packers, they've given up 1,805 yards. So, you know, that's that's about 500 more rushing yards this year allowed by the Packers than Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is averaging just 3.6 yards per carry, but the Packers 4.5 yards per carry. So I think right. there's some opportunity there. And that's why I said I wasn't uh, I wasn't really um, uh, upset that they that they incorporated so much of that game plan in there because sometimes you got to this is almost like a tune-up game for the Packers game and and retrospect because they were able to run it. And keep in mind, New Orleans has got the fourth-ranked rushing defense, which which says a lot because they do play a lot of of that cover two um, uh, defense. So I, I like the fact that they were able to to produce 127 yards on the ground. It would have been nice without that holding call. If Rojo's run would have stood, he would have had over 150 yards rushing in this game, and that would have certainly been even more impressive. But um, I, I do think there are some some um, some things they can exploit in this Packers defense. We'll go more in depth about what the Packers defense looks like on Wednesday's show, which is our right. preview podcast. But at the same time, John, um, you know the conditions itself with with wind and snow, and we'll see what what the forecast is. Growing up in the Midwest, and John, you're from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know sometimes when it says the forecast is for snow. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean yeah. one? Does it mean six inches, right? Because there's a big difference right. between uh, an inch or two of light snowfall and then a, a full-on heavy, um, you know, uh, not a blizzard, but but a, a right. snowstorm, if you will. I think it would have to be pretty. I know we're going to talk about conditions because Tampa Bay going up to a place like Green Bay, you're always going to talk about that stuff. I get it, but I, I mean, even hearing from the players today, they're just like it's really not that big a deal in the NFL. You know, you stay warm on the sideline. You know, that warmth carries once you're moving around onto the field. And so it's probably, you know, I think it would have to be really cold, really windy, and like really snowing, like yeah. blizzarding for it to like remember, think back to that Brady Raiders game and this That's like that kind of condition, yeah. right? Like if it's that, then yeah, like I'm like, okay, maybe you got to alter game plans and stuff. So I guess we'll wait and see, but it, worth mentioning to your point, you know, Ronald Jones, 23 carries, 113 yards, and two touchdowns, average almost five yards a carry against the Packers in week six and then Keyshawn Vaughn in that game five carries 42 yards so he averaged eight and a half yards a carry in that game obviously his best game uh and LaShawn McCoy kind of brought that down with four carries for one yards but we all know the issue with McCoy on first carry of the game was that he missed a wide open hole for a huge gain and so uh, yeah give it to the running backs who can see and Fournette qualifies for that I think the way he's playing right now yeah uh, I hope then I think, yeah, you can have success in the run game in this game. But, you know, Brady didn't do much in the last game because he didn't really have to. The game got out of hand so quickly with those right. 28 fast points that they didn't really have to do a ton in this game. He threw a, a yeah. couple really good balls to Gronk. Gronk ended up with five catches, 78 yards. He had a touchdown. It's kind of one of his breakout games really uh, of the season um, was when he first started to emerge. Godwin had five for 48 in this game. Mike Evans won for 10. A.B. wasn't around yet. Uh, two for eight for Ronald Jones, you know, Tyler Johnson at one for seven. Scotty had one catch for six yards in this game. And so it really wasn't a huge explosive game for the Bucs offense overall. They kind of just got in control all of a sudden with that 28-point second quarter, scored on the first drive of the third quarter, and it really was just kind of about the way the Packers offense was going. I mean, it was really kind of about running out the clock from yeah. that point on. was not a competitive game at all in the second half. Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, it's – um. It's going to be interesting to see, and and we saw this a little bit, John, and and we talked about this last night. I think one of the keys for the Buccaneers was to take this game to the fourth quarter against the Saints, and they certainly did. And I think that that if you punch the bully in the mouth and and you hurt him, then all of a sudden he starts having some second guesses about himself and in the fight. And I think that's what happened is – I, I, you know, I'm not a, a sports psychologist, but I've been around sports enough to know there is that momentum is real, and you could sense in that game when the, the when those turnovers happened, right? The Antoine Winfield, um, you know, punch out and and the yeah. scoop and run by Devin White, and then Devin White's interception. You could feel that momentum shift, and you could just sense even through the TV screen, John, that the Saints were like, oh gosh, here we go again, you know. It's, it's but is momentum part. real, Scott? Is momentum real? Of course real? it is. Yes. Momentum <laughs> is know. real. I can't believe there's people who argue that it's not. To me, it's just I like know. 
you have no, to. I mean, you feel it's it. real. The problem is it's not quantifiable for the stat nerds and right. for the analytics people because you can't quantify it. It's like heart, heart and grit. You can't quantify those things, but they're real. You know, right. when you, you can downplay you things, you can't quantify. They're real. Right. You know, some things can't be. I love things you can quantify. You people hear me talk about it all the time, but some yeah. things can't be. And Winfield made a play in this game that can't be quantified, but it was the difference. And 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 the reason I say that is because. The Saints, you could see it. You could see the wheels turning. It's here we go again. It's Stephon Diggs a couple years ago. It's it's we were in closer games than we should have been against the Rams and the Vikings the last two years, and we put the game in the refs' hands, and the refs blew it, and we went home a hell of a lot sooner than we expected to here in New Orleans, and and that's what happened. And so the, the Bucks, the Bucks can make that happen again by getting inside Aaron Rodgers' head. To get him to say, oh, no, here we go again. I'm getting hit by Indomitian Sue. I'm getting sacked by Jason Pierre-Paul and Levante David. And, and all of a sudden, here's Jamel Dean with an, another interception. And we saw, and, and you said it, and Bruce Arian said it, and I think it was pretty, plain, uh, pretty uh, clear for most people to see, Aaron Rodgers rarely gets rattled. But, boy, was he rattled in week six in that game. And I right. think if the Buccaneers defense can can early on have an effect like that again and get inside Aaron Rodgers' head, um, that that that's going to bode well for Tampa Bay because this is a very um, young and confident and aggressive defense. And sometimes when you're young, you're stupid. And and um, this is a very dangerous uh, Packers offense. It's got a three-headed monster. At, at running back, uh, all three of these guys can run the ball, and they've done so uh, during the regular season. What I'm talking about is Aaron Jones is the known commodity, right? He's the 1,000-yard rusher, rushed for 1,100 uh, yards this season, nine touchdowns. Jam- uh, Jamal Williams is the number two guy, 505 uh, yards this year, two touchdowns. A.J. Dillon, the rookie from Boston College, 242 yards. He's averaging 5.3 yards per carry. He's a big back, two touchdowns for him. Any one of those guys can power the running game. And when one guy goes out, another one can come in. This is a, an offense with Devontae Adams, uh, with uh, with their, obviously one of the best quarterbacks of all time in Aaron Rodgers. Marquez uh, Valdez-Scantling has got some speed that you need to be concerned about, averaging 21 yards per catch. Um, Alan Lazard is a good player. Yeah, Alan Lazard's Robert, a big wide receiver. Tanyan's a good player. Yeah, 11 touchdowns for the tight end for Tanyan. So there's a lot to be concerned about here. But I don't mm-hmm. think this Buccaneer defense is too concerned. They're, they're young and they're dumb and, and they're full of confidence. And, and that's a great thing. Sometimes, you know, if you have that bravado and that swagger, uh, you don't worry about um, – you know, uh, all of the intricacies. I'm not, I'm not talking about the details. They're going to get the game plan and the details down. But I'm just saying they have no fear against this Packer team, nor should right. they, really. But um, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how this defense can play if they get inside Aaron Rodgers' head early on. Yeah, absolutely. That's what happened last time. Uh, they got in Aaron Rodgers' head. Now it's easier said than done because, like you yes. said, it, we rarely see it happen, and he's going to be even more focused, especially the way they came out. They scored 10 quick points. They felt like they were controlling the pace, and all of a yeah. sudden the turnovers in the game got away. John, let me, let me clarify. When I say dumb, I don't mean like like idiotic or stupid. Like right. almost, almost like ignorant in, in the purest sense of the word, meaning yeah, that, that if the Buccaneers go down 10-0, this this team will be unfazed. They'll be like, oh, we're not in any danger. We can flip the switch just like last time and, and get the mm-hmm. job done. And sometimes having that confidence and bravado <laughs> is great yeah. because right. – because you're not worried, you're not scared. And whereas maybe in other situations, you're like, "Crap, we're down ten nothing. We're we're playing, you know, up here in, in Lambeau Field of the frozen tundra with Aaron Rodgers. We should be concerned. Ah, forget about it. You know, we'll right. we'll flip the switch. We'll make something happen." Yeah, and the guy who epitomizes that is Devin White. And and yeah. and Barnes makes a good point here, saying Devin White is becoming a legend before our eyes in the playoffs. You know, Devin White uh, throughout most of the season, I, you know, I was all over the place. Thought there was. Moments of growth in his run defense. He became a terrific yeah. blitzer and flash play guy, and that's yeah. huge. And you know, there, there's it's hard to put into into terms, you know, and and, and especially in a numerical sense, that even though he might make a bunch of negative plays, his positive plays could help turn the team. But in coverage, he was lost. I mean, he was in he was an automatic yeah. completion for teams for most of the season when targeting him in coverage. And then he has flipped the script his last three games in the field. You know, I know he missed the week 17 in the wild card game, but before that, weeks 15 and 16, he was terrific. 
Then he came back from being off and he didn't try and do too much. He played within himself. He was smart in zone. His spacing was good. You know, there's a play where they are late to get lined up and Levante David is telling the safety where to go. And it's a jet sweep. It's a jet sweep yeah. and the Saints quick snap it. And Levante is turned around telling the safety. And Devin White is able to get his head around in time. He sees it, but the sweep is on the opposite side of the field as him. He just takes off. He overruns because yeah. Levante didn't see the play the ball get snapped because he was trying to get the safeties right. He overruns Levante, makes the play out on the perimeter. Anthony Nelson also with a good play on that one. But White got all the way out there, made a play on the perimeter against Kamari in space. I can't – I mean, you cannot say enough about the way Devin White played in this game. Yeah. He was not perfect. He messed up – you know, the first drive of the second half for the, the Saints were right at him. He made right. mistakes. He came right back, and he made the play that changed the game. And that's what you want to see from Devin White. You take a guy in the fifth overall pick. You don't expect him to be perfect. You just expect him to make the splash plays and bounce back and keep getting better. He's shown the last three weeks, the last three games he's played in, he is moving toward in the direction you want him to as a playmaker and as a player overall. And it's it's a great indication that the future is really bright with Devin White, and he's playing his best football when the team needs it so, so much right now. Yeah, and the thing is, is that this is why the Buccaneers drafted him with the fifth overall pick. Not just because he's an off-the-ball linebacker, because – you know, the, the common wisdom in the NFL scouting community says you don't spend a premium pick, especially a top five pick, on an off-the-ball linebacker. You're looking for an edge rusher, a cover corner, a quarterback, or an elite pass protector, a left tackle, John. That's kind of where where you're supposed to to pick that. Or if there's a, a generational-type talent, a wide receiver, Julio Jones, uh, you know, a, a Calvin Rogers type, you know, or sorry, Calvin Johnson type, um, you know, that's, that's – um, that's where you spend those picks, but but this guy's a playmaker. The speed is rare. The uh, the, the force with which he hits, um, the athleticism. It's he's got all the tools, and I think we're seeing him develop mm-hmm. now. And yeah, it's kind of late in the season, John. But but we've talked about this, and I've written about this in, in an SRS Fab Five. This draft class, this 2019 draft class, was robbed of the opportunity to get significantly better in the offseason. The old NFL mantra is the, the biggest leap in performance is between your rookie year and year two because you're not learning a defense or an offense. You're, you've already had a year's worth of experience in it. Now what you're doing in the offseason with the coaches is you're watching your tape. You're watching your own film. This is what you did last year that was good and bad, and, and then we're going to go out on the field in April and May and June and those OTAs and mini camps, and we're going to practice this stuff. We're going to get on film. We're going to go back upstairs and look at it again. And then when training camp comes, even more reps. The preseason games comes, even more reps. John, Devin White, Sean Murphy Bunting, Jamel Dean, Mike Edwards, and Anthony Nelson didn't right. have the opportunity really on these defensive players I'm talking about to make that, that leap. Matter of fact, John, Anthony Nelson's never even played in a Bucks preseason game. And this is the second year. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I give Anthony Nelson a lot of credit, man. He is limited athletically. He is not even the strongest guy, but he's long and he plays as hard as he possibly can. He is physical uh, and he is smart, you know. And yeah. so I like I wish he was like the fourth guy or like maybe the run specialist D end, yeah. but he made some good plays in the run game in this game, and you know, he is not really going to do anything other than bull rush occasionally try an edge rip here or there as a pass rusher. I think they have to get better at that spot in the off season, but he yeah. played, he played tough against the saints in the game in the snaps. I've rewatched, which is just basically most of the first half at this point, he really played tough and I give him credit for that. And, but, but you're right. Like the maturation process for these guys was probably slowed because of that. So seeing Sean Murphy bunting and Devin white, and we talked about this last night. I mean, this was the backwards game of the year for the Bucs. You yeah. know, this was <laughs> yes. literally, you know, from what we saw yeah. and from Pro Football Focus's grades, you know, which I know we always, we kind of laugh at some of it and yeah. take it with a grain of salt for sure. But Pro Football Focus's grade have, and you know, they the only players, the only starters for the Bucs, other than Nacho, who's kind of a starter, but also kind of a half, you know, an halfway player, that the only starters for the Bucs on either side of the ball that grade yeah. below average on the season for Pro Football Focus are Sean Murphy Bunting and Devin White. They were the highest graded Bucks yesterday. I think they were most of our highest graded Bucks just from watching the game live. They were two of the players that yeah. stood out. They were their highest graded Bucks players in that game yesterday. Offense or defense were the two guys who had struggled the most during the season. Yeah. 
I mean, that's if you get that kind of performance when you're a really good team from your worst two players, and I don't think Devin White's one of the worst two players, but yeah. you know, from two of your players that have struggled the most, right. then you are going to be successful most of the time as a team. So yeah. huge shout out to the coaches for having those guys oh, yeah. ready to peak at this time of the year. Totally agree. And I, I just put this up. I'm going to put up again. Cartier Walker with a great point. Uh, Devin, the player that Bucks Nation wanted Quan Alexander to become. And I think that's true. I think that that we all kind of wanted Quan Alexander to become the force that that Devin White has shown signs of becoming. And I, I think that that what you what you've seen from Devin White in in this game and in other games like the Raiders game with those sacks and bunches, the Falcons game, for example, uh, that's the type of playmaker that he is going to be on a on a on a more regular basis as his career goes along. I've got no doubt about that. John, we'll talk a little bit more about this on Wednesday, but it's interesting yep. to note um, that with with David Bakhtiari out mm-hmm. at left tackle and he tore his ACL what two weeks ago? Is that right? Yeah. Three weeks ago? Two weeks ago, I think. It was, it was at the end of the season, yeah. Um, Jason Pierre Paul, he's had a knee problem himself. He's not quite been the same guy over the last month of the season in terms of, of getting to the quarterback. He did get a sack against Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, back in week six, but really since that, that flash, that stretch, right when he was named to the pro bowl, he really has been invisible. And I'm not saying that for lack of effort. I think it's just a, a lack of, 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 of ability at this point, because he's missed a lot of practice time with that knee. It's not right. And, and I think he's really limited with what he can do out there. But does he have a chance to make some noise against, uh, you know, the, the, the backup left tackle for for the Buccaneers, uh, which, you know, Billy Turner, what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was pro football focus's lowest graded buck uh, against um, the Saints. I actually it was kind of impressed with him live and so far in rewatching the game. I felt the same way. So, I, you know, maybe I disagree with PFF there on that one you know I don't think that he's I don't think he was playing at a Pro Bowl level before but I do think he's a he's a good solid player and they need him to have a big game he did last time against the Packers so did the linebackers you know Levante David had a sack and a half remember in this game JPP had a sack and a half you know uh, by the way sidebar totally stupid that half sacks are counted as half sacks for players on their stat sheets you can have you can give the player credit for two sacks just because JPP was good enough to get to the quarterback on the play, and so was Levante David. Doesn't right. mean Levante David shouldn't be statistically awarded for it, or JPP should give them yeah. both to, give them both a full sack, and then just have the team total be different than the individual total. Total yeah. sidebar. Back Devin White in that game was also really good as a pass rusher, and so you do wonder with the Packers offensive line going through some of those changes, Scott, and still having some younger players in there, how they handle some of the games and blitzes that Todd Bowles will throw at them, what they've learned from last time. If Bowles has new things up his sleeve, I think I saw some new pressures against uh, Drew Brees in this game and at least some things they don't do that often, some wrinkles of pressures. So, yeah, it's going to be really where the matchup is kind of one of the – I mean, how Aaron Rodgers handles pressure when he was struggling, either in the game against the Bucs earlier this season or earlier in his career, when he was struggling, it was it was largely due to the fact that yeah. he would invite pressure. We would hold on to the ball too long. He would pass up on open first reads to try and make tougher plays, and then pressure would get home, and it wouldn't be successful for him. And so it, a lot of this game is going to come down to how he handles that. He's been – he first half of the season, he really wasn't that great under pressure. Second half of the season, he's been great under pressure. I personally, Scott, I think the one thing I've learned this year, I'm throwing out the under pressure stuff. I don't even understand yeah. the statistic. How do we measure it? Where does it's how subjective. close? Yeah, how close is the pressure? I've looked at Brady's pressure numbers in this game for, the, for according to Pro Football Focus anyway, and then I'm like watching the game. I'm like, he's literally like he delivers that one throw to Brady in the middle of the field, tight window. Right. He delivers a strike to Brady. There's a guy just about to hit him. The guy pulls off and doesn't hit him, but I'm like, he doesn't know that when he throws the ball. So how? I just think it's ridiculous. You know, edge, pre- like how do we, where the pressure's coming from is huge, you know, but unless you're a quarterback like Goff in every game, you can't make any plays under pressure. Like I get that, but like with right. Brady, he make throws under pressure all the time. So it has way more to do with and, me. And John, in this offense, with, with with the amount of deep shots and intermediate shots, and you know this just from, from covering Bruce Arians back in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger, um, part of, part of, of the, uh, of the, 
part of the offense is the quarterback standing in the pocket, waiting for the receiver and for the routes to develop and the receiver to get open and, and delivering the ball. Sometimes as you're getting hit, that, that's not uncommon in this offense. And, um, and so uh, is, is a pressure, is that a reward for a player for, you know, for getting to, uh, to Tom Brady at the three second mark when he's, just throwing the ball and, and hitting Cam Brate 25 yards downfield. Um, it, did, the, did the pressure really affect the play in that instance? No, because Brady threw a, a complete pass, just like the 29-yard the dime to Scotty Miller, right? I mean, that was yeah. on the money. It didn't affect the play at all. Does it count as a pressure? Sure, okay, but, but it didn't really have the effect. The other thing, too, is the people that are grading – these games for PFF and other analytic services out there. It's, it's no different than, than NFL officiating crews, right? Some officiating crews uh, are more apt to call trench stuff, holding, right? Um, hands to the face, right? Other, other crews let that slide. Sometimes some analysts are more likely to call something a drop than others are. Exactly. You know? So there's always this, there's, you can't get that out of it, right? It doesn't throw out everything that they do. It just, it just important to clarify. There's always going to be some level of, subjectivity to a lot yeah. of those things you know certainly yeah. you'd like to think that the deep throws to just you know we can measure 20 plus air yards right. from where the ball, you know so um so yeah there but anyway uh, you know i say all that to say uh, i think that how aaron Rodgers handles that is probably one of the keys to this game um and how those matchups kind of play themselves out is probably one of the keys to this game i see people asking about vita vea yeah, we talked about vita vea what you want to run back through that. We talked about Vita Vey at the outset of the podcast. So yep. to get our full spiel on that, you can go back to run back to the beginning of the podcast too, but yep. basic long story short, Scott, we think Vita Vey has a chance to play Sunday there. It depends on how practice goes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If it goes great. Awesome. He might get some reps on Sunday more than anything. It's if they win Sunday, they want to make sure they've opened up the window for him to be able to return, yep. get the practice time he needs, get his legs under him, return. Yep for a game in the Super Bowl three weeks from now. So there's kind of layers to this, basically. You're exactly right. And and at the same time, it's one of those things where, uh, just like we mentioned before, Justin Evans, Kendall Beckwith, the former 2017 draft picks for the Buccaneers, returned to practice. Bucks were optimistic. It didn't work out so well. And neither one of those players ever returned to the field again. The good news is Vita Bay's injury is not that significant. He has been doing some workouts with the team. So I think they're going to test it. But I agree with John. I think more so than anything, if this thing goes swimmingly well this week and there's no problems, you can go out there and give it a, a shot on Sunday, then they'll activate him. Uh, if not, uh, if there's a little bit of a setback, if there is, um, you know, if, if he's just not able to really protect himself, if that ankle is not 100% yet where he can anchor. Remember, he's this is a, a nose tackle we're talking about here. He's a big guy. He's going to be taking on double teams, forcing the action up front. Um if he's not ready, they don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize him right. for the 2021 season. And so they might hold him out of this game and give him, buy him a little bit more time because there is going to be Buccaneer fans a bye week this year between the, the championship game and the Super Bowl. That wasn't the case the last time the Buccaneers made it in 2002. It went right from the NFC championship game to the Super Bowl the next Sunday. So there is a bye week this week. And if the Buccaneers make it, and let's hope they do, right. then, then that, that might work out well there. Uh, the other news real quick, nothing. Uh, I just heard from a, a Buccaneer source. No word on AB yet. Uh, we'll have more information tomorrow on Antonio Brown's knee. So, yeah. Um, and I, don't, I don't think we'll get to speak to Arians tomorrow, do we? But hopefully the team says something. Correct. Yeah, we'll probably hear something uh, from the team, but but nothing on there too. So right. Yeah, um, and uh, good. Barry says here. Scott asked the best questions in press conferences today. Scott, you let them fly to Aaron. You know, you feel you feeling okay? <laughs> he sounded I mean, rough, didn't he? Oh, he sounded rough. He looked rough, and then he kind of perked up after that. But I was yeah. telling you, man, I think that crown hits different after you win the NFC divisional. The crown might hit different. Yeah, they do serve crown on the plane, John, on the, the flight home. So. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, you definitely know he was selling about that. There. Yeah, it was. It was a little rough to start. I was getting a little worried, but that actually made me think too, Scott. It has to be, there has to be a hard element to this for teams, you know, uh, you know, and especially to whoever wins the NFC and AFC championships, because yeah. you would have two weeks in those Super Normally you'd be able to really enjoy that, you know, whether that means going out or whatever it means. And now right. with COVID, you really like, even in the locker room, you could see in the, in the IG stuff, like the players, they're trying to wear their masks and follow yeah. the protocols, but also celebrate. And like, 
you need those things as a team, you know, to rally yeah. around and a big win and that camaraderie of the moment. And you want to enjoy that stuff, man. That's right. what you work so hard for. And it's kind of sucks for the players. I bet that you really can't enjoy it the way you would have. Cause it, oh, you know, yeah. really, I don't think you're supposed to be, I'm trying to remember the exact part. I don't know if you're supposed to be like hanging out a ton outside of the facility or anything like that. And meetings are all virtual. And so like all of that stuff's kind of off the table and it just kind of sucks because it's like, okay, how does that affect, you know, the team and what you're trying to build and, you know, the camaraderie you're trying to build toward and how you, you know, you, you get a win like that against the saints, you want to be with your teammates, you know, or like go out and do something. And now you're, you know, going back home and <laughs> yeah, have a crown yeah. if you're Bruce or whatever. You know? John, like as a reporter to go into that, that, that raucous environment. Right. And, and uh, I've, I've been in, in the locker room after, after some of the biggest wins in franchise history, it's yeah. a cool atmosphere to see. And, and yeah. trust me, I've, I've been in enough absolutely crappy locker rooms where there are, it's so silent that you can hear a pin drop. And, and, and the only thing that you hear are tears uh, falling from players, eyes hitting the ground. I mean, I've been into some absolutely just uh, horrific locker room situations and, uh, and it's fun to experience the, the other side too, the joy, the, jubilation um not going to be able to experience that this year but uh it is fun for the players to do that you know what else is fun too john mm. it's fun getting your insurance from briar greaves insurance oh i wasn't sure what direction you were going to go there but that was a good switch with briar greaves i thought you might have been a my bookie day but no going briar greaves i like it let's talk about the fun you can have with briar greaves well the fun you can have with briar greaves is thankfully hurricane season's over right what a year it was in the insurance world record number of named storms with over 30 storms this year flooding especially in the state of florida we're like a big sandbar then you had wildfires not to mention the covid 19 pandemic well with commercial property and homeowners insurance rates increasing across the industry due to all these catastrophes briar greaves agencies got numerous carriers and options to help new and existing clients that have been affected by rate increases. That happened to me. The folks at Briar Greaves helped me out. What did I do, John? I listened to what Mark Cook said. Call briargreaves.com. Actually, no, I didn't I didn't call Briar Greaves first. I went on the website, briargreavesinsurance.com, because Briar Greaves was closed. And then I looked at the website. I found out more about the company. I found out more about the options they have to insure not just um, my, my personal insurance, uh, but also commercial insurance, automobile insurance, um, and they've got all sorts of carriers, whether it's Progressive, MetLife, Safeco, Allstate, just to name a few. Um, life insurance, you can purchase it through Briar Greaves. It's being purchased at record-breaking amount due to individuals thinking about the future of their families because of this pandemic. If you're in good health, medical exams can usually be waived as a requirement, and that can accelerate the life insurance purchase to protect families. The great thing is, you know, John, the folks at Briar Greaves, they're big Bucks fans. They love Pewter Report. They love hearing from Pewter Report subscribers, readers, viewers, listeners, and people that have enjoyed hearing their commercials on the Pewter Report podcast. So support the businesses that support us. Visit briargreavesinsurance.com. I know you're waiting for the phone number. Here it is, 813-876-4166. That's 813-876-4166. Even if you have insurance and you don't need any more, Call Briar Greaves, tell them what you have, let them review your policy, find out where they can save you some money. If they can't, they'll tell you. But if they can, who would like to save a dollar? Who would like right. to save $10 or $100, maybe even $500? This guy right here. And uh, and I did by calling Briar Greaves. So briargreavesinsurance.com, it's the place to go. It's fun buying insurance from Briar Greaves. Love it. Get to a couple questions, rapid fire style. Barnes says, Arian said Winfield is defensive rookie of the year and had a better year than Chase Young. Do you agree? I think he played great. I think it's probably comparable. I would probably still give it to Chase Young. Uh, but I think that uh, he played, he had, he had great. Uh, Raymond P says, isn't Florida open? Go to a club or bar. I don't think that suggestion will fly with the players, Raymond. That was uh, <laughs> a very adventurous suggestion for you. Uh I don't think players are going to be allowed to do that. Dr. Tarantula says, do you think Carlton Davis can lock up Devontae or too difficult? 10 targets for Devontae Adams last time yeah. and six catches for 61 yards. They held him in check. They really did. It was a pretty great performance all around. Carlton did play a big part in that. Dean had a couple good reps against him too, including the pick six. And so they held him in check. Uh, again, you know, we talked about it with Rodgers, really the only team to do that with Devontae Adams so far this season. And so, how much was it just an off game and how much do the Bucs have the Packers number? We'll find that out on Sunday, I think. Uh, who 
was covering Michael Thomas, or was it a collective effort? They held him to zero receptions on four targets, but that seemed to fly under the radar. I think a lot of people talking about it today. Uh, Carlton Michael Thomas played the vast majority of the game outside, so Carlton right. Davis was on him the vast majority of the game. A couple reps inside, Sean Murphy Bunting was on him. And that's kind of the way it went, and he uh, didn't have a catch against any of them. So they kind of was but a that, that Sean Murphy Bunting interception happened while he was covering Michael Thomas, and then right. Michael Thomas tried to – to get after Sean Murphy Bunting and make the tackle, he got a stiff arm to the face, and Sean Murphy Bunting says, I'm faster than you, slant boy. Yeah, exactly right. And it was kind of a story line of the day. Devin White scoop, uh, when he scooped the ball up on the Antoine went for forced fumble, Thomas stepped up to make the tackle, and Carlton Davis about pancaked him. Then they got close to the sideline, and White was going out of bounds, and Thomas kind of ran into him, and he gave Thomas a shove, and Thomas almost went down there. So, yeah, there was no doubt about it. There's no love lost there for sure, and so – uh, that was not a, it was a night to forget for sure. Um, for Michael Thomas, John, who's better at ad transitions, Mark cook or Scott Reynolds. Oh man. I honestly hardly ever even noticed you guys make a bad one. So it's hard to, but Mark can, tra- it, it will do it in, in, with anything. Like, yeah, he'll be I'm going to give it to cook without it. He will. Yeah. He will just stretch it to like you're like wait what I wasn't even thinking of that you know he's the captain I'm just Gilligan on this cruise ship anyways so That's right. <laughs> did anyone greet the players at the airport last night uh, any videos yes there are videos out there on Twitter there's a couple hundred there I believe I saw somebody yeah. saying uh, to greet the players when they got back including of course the loose cannons crew I'm sure I know some of them are out there I don't know if all of them are out there but I'm sure they were out there who do you think wins the coach battle the floor or Arians? I mean, I think LaFleur might be the best coach in the league this season. He has been sensational. What he's done with play action, with building an – I mean, you talk about they've, the tackles, you know, like you said, losing back to Ari and not missing a beat because the scheme yeah. makes it hard to get pressure. So much play action, running back verticals, which a lot of teams don't do. Um, he just has been – I mean, they're creative. They move, Tons of motion. You saw the Devontae Adams touchdown, you know, early into the first one of the game uh, where right. they got him in motion and brought him back. You know, they just – there's just a ton to prepare for, and they add every week, and it's a very, very hard offense. You know what, John? It, it's it's incredible how how seamless the transition was with Lafleur coming in last year, right? Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers getting a thirteen and three record, and th- they just have even been better this year, I think. Right? Yeah, it's been it really has been the next step for them for sure. I think uh, G Vegas says, "Are you guys bummed not being able to cover these playoff games in person?" I I do think it's very weird, you know, having covered playoff games in Pittsburgh before, you know, it is awesome to be there. And obviously with no fans, it changes the atmosphere some, but it's been weird not to, not to, to, to have a game like that and then have it come on the podcast. But I was just in my living room. You know what I mean? It's like, there's an environment aspect to being a reporter live at the scene yeah. that makes it tricky. I think to like, you know, we, we've kind of carried the energy and we're excited, you know, we're excited yeah. we're not pretend like we are, but it, it is different. I think. Well, the, the thing too is 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 we we have a, a company protocol this year where um, where frankly speaking, due to COVID, we have we have not had the budget to travel, and so that's played a role in it. And I think early in the season, um, you know, we as a company have kind of um, um, not frowned upon, but really have not been encouraging, just due to the the possible risk of airports. And, mm-hmm. and traveling, you know, and, and the exposure to, to COVID-19. Um, I may or may not be going to Green Bay, still determining that, mm-hmm. but in my, my credential request, but we'll see how the week goes. Might hop on a plane and go out there this weekend just to cover it. But but if not, John, yeah, I will be Perf- at this Right. Professionally, we don't miss anything because there's no right. availability with anyone. So, we, you know, we miss great food and the press boxes yeah. probably, and that's, I mean, in the atmosphere again, but it doesn't change anything for us in terms of the job, really, in terms of what we're able to do yeah. um, in that capacity. Which so that part's nice that that we are uh, we are missing out on that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, something about going to the locker room after the game and and, yeah, and getting that, talked to missing is the opportunity right. to talk to more players and get and get some some one on one, some off the record information. Uh, you just can't get that in these these mass media. Uh, post game zooms where everybody's on and, and it's everyone gets to ask you know, their question and everybody gets to use that answer. And it's all kind of homogenized stories. Everybody writes the same thing because everybody's heard the same answer, which, which th- that's the disappointing thing from a journalistic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, who is David pointing at? Levante David pointing out on the sideline saying, I want you. He stuck Ty Montgomery in the hole with a huge hit late in the yeah. game. And then he pointed to the sideline and was yelling, I want you. And I think he was yelling at Kamara because yeah. Kamara was out of the game. So I think he was telling him, you're next, boy, when you get out here. And so I think that was kind of the reaction that he was going for at that point in time. Yeah. But uh, it was unusual to see Levante in that. You know, he's not the guy you would. I think, think Devin is, White and Carlton Davis are rubbing off on him a little bit. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that might be what it is. Even Carlton, when you talk to him in the media, you know, you would. I just would never big picture him as a trash talker. You know, he's so soft spoken. But he's and, so confident that that's the yes, thing. And, right. and you, you see that you see him on Twitter, and he's he's posting stuff. Um, right. You know, he's it's not it's not about. Uh, leaving people on islands is about digging graves, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. swagger, man. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, I don't have an island. I have a graveyard or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. So, but that's the thing, you know, Jason light, and we'll talk about it more in the off season. We've got, we're looking for some content and some, some time to really break down the, the entirety of what he's done, but the roster he's built, not only in terms of talent, but also in terms of people and cohesiveness, that is not easy to do when you were a football guy, scouting and wanting to acquire talent and early in his career he would probably be the first to say he messed it up with people like vernon hargraves you know not bringing in the type of player person that you want to have in a locker room. not that he's like a horrible person or anything just that he didn't fit the culture that you're trying to build in tampa bay yeah. now you've got people i mean really top to bottom there's on the whole roster there isn't a misfit you know in terms of yeah. working and building an entire team with a goal and a mission that's cohesive together I think that that is incredibly hard to do yeah. over the last four years. I mean, you could put Jason light up there against any GM in the NFL. I really honestly believe that. Yeah. Look at what he's done. You're exactly right. And Bruce Arian said he deserves executive of the year. And I, I endorsed that wholeheartedly wrote about it. In my SR Fab five a couple of weeks ago. And, and, uh, I, you know, I, I think maybe, uh, you know, being up in Buffalo might be the, the, the other guy that's in the mix, but, uh, if Tampa Bay ends up winning the Super Bowl with this roster, it starts really with with Tom Brady. It's bringing Shaq Barrett back in the franchise tag, re-signing Jason Pierre-Paul, trading for Gronkowski, finally solving the the puzzle at kicker with Ryan Suckup, who's been an absolute unsung hero for this team. And then you look at the draft picks, mm -hmm. not just getting guys that can come in and start, John, but start and play at elite levels like Antoine Winfield Jr. in the second round and Tristan Wirfs in the uh in the first round and then finding right. role players guys over the last couple of years like scotty miller with the 29 yard catch just a couple tyler johnson after tyler johnson's catch it's 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 building the roster it's getting guys that are not just a players because i've said this before and this will be my final comment of the evening in 2002 the difference between uh, the buccaneers losing in 1999 and in 2000 and 2001 and not making the super bowl we're not even getting out of Philadelphia in 2000 and 2001. And the difference between the 2002 roster wasn't Warren Sapp and Simeon Rice and Keyshawn Johnson and Mike Allstott, Rondé Barber and Derek Brooks, because they had those guys on those other teams. The difference was not the A players. It was the C players. It was replacing those guys with B players. It was replacing George Hegeman with Roman Oban at left tackle, right? It was replacing um, – you know, uh, the, the nickel corner, Donnie Abraham, who who kind of – he had his bell rung, uh, had a concussion, wasn't the same player after that, with the Dwight Smith. And it's getting those upgrades. It's getting a Greg Spires, who was not an A player like Simeon Rice, but he was a better player than Steve White. Mm -hmm. And and it was it was finding those B players. And I think that's kind of what, what this has happened here. It's, it's Matt Gay's a good kicker, right? I mean, you can see what he does out there for the Rams. But Ryan Suckup has been – money this year mm -hmm. best kicker in yeah. franchise history that right. i think has been the difference this year with this roster is getting the upgrades turning getting some positions that had b players and making them a players and getting some positions that had c players replacing those guys with b players yeah and everybody's like oh he got tom brady so obviously he's got a great recruiting tool to bring in a b and gronk but what about building the roster that made brady want to come play here like he's tom exactly. brady he yeah. had choices to play other places. And look Mike at Evans guy. and Chris right. Godwin before that. It's it's having right, right. Donovan Smith and Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen in place that oh, makes Howard. Yeah, that makes Tom Brady want to come to Tampa. Oh, and by the way, it's getting some guy named Bruce Arians and his great coaching staff out of retirement. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, like I said, 
you could say there were misses early on in their work. 2016 was a bad draft. There's no doubt about it. But everything he's done since then, I mean, yeah. you know, there's a couple misses here and there. But every GM has that. Nobody gets a draft 100 perfect. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's it's the reason why they're here, and that's why I say the window isn't just this year for the Bucks. If they yeah. can find a quarterback after Brady, even a veteran, you know, Stafford or Ryan or whoever yeah. at that point in time, when somebody's going to be ready to move on from somebody, yeah. that window can stay open to be competitive. And who knows what's going to happen with the NFC and where it'll be and. That's right. You know, who will be able to win and stuff. But yeah, anyway, he's done everything he can do as a GM, I think, to make this team a Super Bowl uh, contender. So uh, props to him and props to the organization. Moving on, NFC Championship game. We are excited to cover it. Wednesday, we'll have a full preview, Scott, right here on the Pewter Report podcast. If you're listening for the first time and you don't subscribe, go over to Pewter Report TV on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the notifications. If you want to know every time we go live, we'd love to have you every single time. If you're not, I don't know if I'm going to listen to these guys every single time. They're average. You know, the guys clearly need it. John, that John guy clearly needs a haircut. It's true. I'm going to cut it after this team <laughs> finally loses or wins the Super Bowl. I'm growing um, the, the, uh, the soul patch. I'm throwing the soul patch out. But yeah, if you're like, oh, I might listen to him uh, once in a while, you know, go ahead uh, and just uh, subscribe and then to jump in when you can jump in. And we love to have you there, but those subscriptions really help us a lot. Uh, so tell friends and family, spread the word, uh, like the video. Yeah. For all these people watching, uh, Matt, Matt, Matt says 400 people watching, uh, and only 50 likes. Come on guys. Uh, so yeah, likes are help us a lot too. I don't know exactly how I think they help like the algorithm people searching or whatever that are looking for content. They help them find it and jump in here. And that's, you know, kind of how we get a lot of the listens, especially on game days and stuff. And, but really across the board, the listens have been on, I mean, you guys have supported us. And it's been tremendous. So we appreciate it. We'll be back Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Uh, we'll be breaking down Bucks Packers in depth. And we will have Vita Vea news. And we'll have some level Antonio Brown news yep. and things of that nature when we practice that day and, and like things like that. So we will have – it'll be a lengthy discussion Wednesday, 7.30. And then Thursday we'll have a guest on 7.30 as well uh, as it's time for that right now. And we'll be talking more Bucks Packers and lieu of the NFC Championship game coming up on Sunday, 3.05 p.m. Excited for it. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Pewter Report Podcast. Out. Out.